Because you know I'm all about the bass, about the bass, no treble. I'm all about the bass, about the bass, no treble. Can you turn me up? Louder! A little louder! A little bit more! Whatever, that'll work. Earbuds and earworms. I'm Amy. Get down with this bass, Shepherd, and this is <laughs> I'm Mitchell Manley, Low End's best friend. Ah, oh, yours are always so much more clever than mine. I just like to rhyme, and I like alliteration. I feel um, like this you... one didn't have the alliteration, but it had the, the internal rhyme sort of thing happening. Yeah, I feel like you you plan this much better than I do. I don't. I just think of it on the way over here most of the time. Oh, God. I'm Dang. just I'm just really really smart. You're just as so all. smart, man. <laughs> um. It's obvious. Obviously, we're talking about the bass. Yeah. And I gotta tell you, I thought it was gonna be a skimpy week. I was wrong. Yeah, this is probably one of the most like off the chain submission wise. We had yeah, you know, a lot of people submitted a lot of songs. Uh huh. But, but there were all like a lot of people and yeah. a lot of songs, and apparently, bass lines are super super important because dear goodness, so much. Yeah. So many songs, and then yeah. So like Craig, Craig submitted this uh, as he, an idea, right? Yeah, he slides into our DMs sometimes. Yeah, and I appreciate that. Craig yeah. usually gives us some really good episode mm-hmm. ideas. He really does. But you know, I, I, you know, once I started thinking about it, you know, I play bass in bands. You mm-hmm. used to play bass. Do you still own a bass at all? No, I had to sell one. To, I had to sell my. It was a De Armand hollow body. Oh man! You, if you recall, way back, like about 15, 20 years ago, Chris McCredden had it. Right. Yeah. I bought I that it. off of him, but then I had to pay for rent. Ibly. So, and then I had a, um, a Fender Aerodyne. I don't think I ever played that, but. Mm-mm. And it was stolen. Oh, man. Yeah. And then, of Damn. course, of course, my, you know, my Squire, uh, which everybody has. Um, well, I broke it. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We have like quite a bit of connection to bass. You and I actually met for the first time through John Siniglio, who was a bass player. But you were the drummer in his band. Or no, I was the guitar player. Ben Gower was the drummer. I don't know if you remember I can't Ben remember. Gower. I obviously don't remember Ben. But you sat down at the drums a couple I, of times. Yeah, I, I tried. I always wondered. Yeah. I've seen you at, at drums. Yeah. So we have yeah. lots of uh, lots of history with bass, and I, of course, love bass. So. Uh huh. And I, I think that you probably know more about bass than I do because I was winging it way back then. <laughs> sure. <laughs> what did you bring this week? All right. So this week, I'm going to start us off with Marvin Gaye's Ain't No Mountain High Enough.
wanted to start us off with a classic that the listeners may not have paid much attention to. Uh, songs like this are usually played overhead in a mall or in like movies where you're not really paying much attention to the instrumentation or you can't really hear the bass very well. But a lot of the old soul and Motown songs has some of the best bass lines of all time. And a huge chunk of those amazing bass lines were played by the same guy. Uh, he's an insanely prolific studio bass player named James Jamerson. That's not a real name. It is. James oh. Jamerson. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, he had a very musical style, and his parts had, like, very little repetition. Uh, they were always moving around and exploring the full range of melody of the song as opposed to just following the root chords of the progression. Uh, he played on pretty much every Motown hit, including songs for The Supremes, The Temptations, Jackson 5, Marvin Gaye, Gladys Knight and the Pips, Stevie Wonder, you name it. <laughs> I know Jeremy Scott, our ear buddy, he posted a four-top song called Bernadette, mm-hmm. also has James Jamerson <laughs> on it. Uh, anytime you listen to any of those classic Motown hits, just listen really closely to the bass lines, probably him. Uh, as a bass player myself, I really wish I could emulate his style. Such a high, higher level of facility with his instrument that I just don't think I could ever achieve, even if I practiced every day. Yeah. Um, it's just so good. I've got to say, like, the song, personally, just perfection. And I have not paid attention to the bass line before, but it feels like this is, oh, it's just going to be like this simple repetition. And I'm like, it's actually moving a lot. Yeah. And for it being like, you know, starting off with this very simple and iconic baseline, it like progresses into this like huge complication. Like it's just, it still flows so beautifully, but you don't even realize how complicated it gets. And it just builds and there's like variations on themes and it's this super sumptuous. And the, um, the video you sent me actually follows the baseline. Yeah. And I was like, Oh, this is nuts. Yeah, there's a band called Wolfpack. Yes. And uh, the, on their on their channel, uh, one of the guys in their band actually has transcribed tons of bass songs and just like has visual representations of them. And it's tons of James Jamerson stuff, of course. He's super yeah. influenced by that. It, it was nuts because I, th- I think of the bass line as so simple, but it's not. And I that takes like so much like talent to make a very complicated baseline like super accessible right it's 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 so complicated and all over the place and like really complex but it still blends into the song and it's Perfectly. and it's not just the mixing it's like just where he puts every note is just perfect you know? and it moves so perfectly along with the rest of the music yeah so precise I brought something totally different. I brought, As you often do. <laughs> yes. I brought a Jaco Pastorius's portrait of Tracy.
of this song, and I'm not sure if it counts as a baseline, <laughs> but when I think baselines, I think this song. This is one of the more complicated things I learned how to play on bass, and I realized my hands are tiny because uh, Jacko had very very large hands and all his harmonics are like spread like over like seven so I actually had to move my thumb to the front and Mm -hmm. fret with my thumb it was nuts but love this song and I think that it really celebrates the bass in a way that is absolutely majestic and flowing and I always think of it as kind of like floating on air and it's kind of romantic because i'm sure it's a i think it's an ex-wife or something of his uh which is tracy and i was like it just it it feels so like loving and it's harmonics and it really shows the dynamics of what can happen with an electric bass yeah jaco pastorius obviously in a category of his own um he was using bass as a solo instrument in a way that literally no one else before him was doing uh, almost like a piano in some mm-hmm. spots like there's lots of virtuoso jazz players that could just solo insane stuff within a song, but to use the electric bass as a solo melodic instrument and actually have those underlying underlying bass lines happening underneath a complicated melody and both played simultaneously on an instrument that's not at all designed for that. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's pretty much unheard of on bass up until his arrival. Uh, but he was also incredible with bands as well. My favorite Jaco Pastorius work is with the band Weather Report, mm-hmm. who are the pioneers of jazz fusion, like blending the virtuosic jazz sensibilities with the groove and the umph of rock music and lots of weird world music. Um, you know, his bass work on the album Heavy Weather just really opened my eyes to how bass could be used to complement a song rather than just directly replicate the chord structure of a song. Mm-hmm. Uh, so definitely kind of opened my eyes and broadened my horizons as to what you could do with a bass. I wish he'd lived longer and not been so feisty at like yeah, a bar. he was just a he was just an asshole and got the shit kicked out of him. Yeah, like, uh, yeah. I mean, that's, somebody that's literally I'm... beat him to death. Unfortunately, unfortunately, it's a sad story. A small dude who decided to fight with large people. Yeah. Often, actually, that just was the last one again. So, yep. and there's there's your music history for the yeah. <laughs> Did a little research. Uh, no, I read well, this. Well, you knew this. Of yeah, course, I knew this because well, remember Chris mm-hmm. loves Jocko. Yeah, of course. So of course, everybody's gosh darn it! It was so hard to like come together and figure out what songs to choose for this. And JoJo, I believe, said that this was supposed to be a three week episode. I I would actually go qu- uh, along with that pretty easily because <laughs> it, it's easy for us to make like a four hour show on this one right. because wow so epic so we tried to choose like the more maybe not as well known or like these perfect like distillations of bass lines so oh so you're in for a ride guys <laughs> uh, Charlie brings big countries where the roses sown
gets me every time. One of my favorite bands. Every single time I listen to Big Country, I have to realize that they're not a country band, <laughs> which is always shocking to me. Uh, it's a remaster, and I kind of wish like the baseline was more forward-facing, and I have like a terrible ear for music so t- sometimes, especially when like you have more of like the tinny guitar sounds. And I got totally distracted, but there's a lot of interest- intricacy going on on all levels, even with the bass line and the guitars and everything else. And uh, still really upset myself for thinking this was a 90s country band. And I, yeah, it's not it's not big and rich, nope. and just because they have country in their name doesn't make them country. I know. Um, most most of my peers have probably never even heard of Big Country, although some of them probably heard their biggest hit, which was called "In a Big Country." Is that a country song? It's not. Oh, it's a big country song. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, they were from Scotland, and their guitars often like intentionally mimicked traditional bagpipe melodies, which is why the guitars are kind of higher and doing. Yeah, that you'll, okay. he does like a lot of really cool octave stuff where he'll like track uh, it lower, and then he'll do another track where it's an octave or two higher, kind of kind of like the notes on a on a bagpipe is all, often uh, in several octaves at once. So super complicated. Yeah, and it just gives their songs a really cool character. Um, A lot of their songs are really anthemic, so the drums are often very open and straightforward. So their bass player, a guy named Tony Butler, he played a lot of like really groovy bass lines with lots of movement and funk to add, you know, some of the more subtle rhythmic texture that the drums weren't covering. Uh, He was also excellent excellent at using his bass to harmonize and build on the guitar parts for, for that optimal triumph. Uh, ear buddies, if you've never listened to Big Country before, I definitely suggest going down that rabbit hole. <laughs> Such a unique and catchy band, and Tony Butler provided much of what made them really special. So, uh, yeah. really glad that this one made the show. Thank you, Charlie. And almost a really good baseline is always going to be something that complements like what's lacking in the guitar. Right, like, agreed. Yeah, I mean it's traditionally like not counting Jocko type stuff, but uh, traditionally you think of the bass as the rhythm section type mm-hmm. right i mean generally i was terrible at counting so you can see why i did not have success in the bass <laughs> um david h brings sleeps dragon on a classic blues progression that i'm pretty sure i learned this one time and i'm pretty sure i learned it uh it's totally necessary base knowledge to know some of these progressions that's why i was like oh i can point yeah, this I think one there's out like a pentatonic scale or something yeah, like that in there something like circle fist or something yeah. but um this this shows how in like some ways these classic progressions can be woven into new songs and played with in the song to change the feel and the emotion of the song and also can we talk about how trippy and tolkien-esque this is absolutely now, one genius commenter on Genius, I just want to say that it was not a genius commenter, but a commenter on Genius, um, 
felt that it needed to be clarified that the song is not about a literal journey. It is about smoking. The space references are because the narrator is getting so high that he is in space. Hmm. I feel mansplained too. Sorry, Ethan. Totally figured that one out without you. Sorry. Look, I got shirty. Right, yeah. yeah I got shirty whenever <laughs> I finally did some research. And I'm just going to call out random males on Genius.com. Uh, Dragonaut, though? It's a person who pilots a dragon. Right. Yep. Yeah, so, I mean, it's it's certainly got the undertones of being about some dope smoking. Uh, but, I mean, also, whenever you're dope smoking, writing a song about riding away on a dragon toward the sun is not exactly out of out of the realm of possibility i mean I they kind of like, go hand in hand yeah it's like it's part of the theme yeah. yeah uh and so i wanted to get this one on for a number of reasons uh one reason is because this song is pretty much the cornerstone of the stoner rock genre getting into bands like sleep and caius really yeah we talked about caius last week i think you mean Kius? yeah <laughs> not caius it's caius sorrenta <laughs> yeah uh, so yeah bands like sleep and caius they really shifted the way that i wrote songs myself um, another reason is because it does indeed have some amazing bass work happening, especially toward the end of the song mm-hmm. when, when they're just like riffing out into outer space and the bassist, a guy named Al Cisneros, he's just going nuts playing this very Black Sabbath-y bass groove, uh, which brings me to my main reason for putting this on the list, which is because <laughs> no Black Sabbath songs got posted. Aww. And Geezer Butler from Black Sabbath, another one of my biggest influences on bass. Uh, if you know anything about Geezer Butler's playing style, you'll notice that the members of Sleep also really, really love Geezer <laughs> Butler and Black Sabbath. Uh, it's an iconic jam on so many levels, super important to my evolution as a musician and a curator of great music. So, again, glad that this one made the cut. I feel like it's an insult to call him Geezer, though. That's his name. I mean, how many bass players have the last name Butler? I would say quite a few, actually. I could probably think of we've another already, handful. We've covered two already. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, and I didn't even know that. Josh brings the Talking Heads Psycho Killer. Says back again for some Tino Weymouth appreciation. appreciation. Without her, I highly doubt we'd really know who the Talking Heads were. Her bass was the heart and soul to so many great songs. This one, though, in particular, although not my favorite, is undeniably defined by that pulsating bass riff and Motown spin. This song is built from the bass up, and it's is although it's like super well known, I don't feel like it's ever horribly overplayed. Yeah, I agree. And um probably because it's not great for mall music. Right. I mean that'd be really bad mall music. Um I'm partial to the uncomplicated, clear electric bass like sands like pedals and stuff because sometimes I really like just that simple stuff and it's just a few notes that can make it into this super iconic song. And I also like there's this kind of like crazy you have these repetitions, and obviously we're talking about a psycho killer, mm-hmm. and so you have 
this rhythmic repetition that like slowly gets kind of nuts as like the guy's going a little more nuts and it gets back to oh I'm still kind of like psycho killer but now I'm like in my regimen and then out into unraveling again so I always like that kind of like playing around with like the mental health aspect plus the baseline yeah I like that Mm -hmm. uh Josh pretty much said everything there is to be said about this one Tina Weymouth is an extraordinary bassist she borrowed from so many different styles and genres and mashed them into the most insidious grooves that you'll ever hear uh and this one as you and Josh both pointed out the bass just stays driving and sort of chugging along giving you that urge to just keep moving and then drops into that little Motown groove in the choruses, which is blatantly inspired by James <laughs> Jamerson, who we talked about earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, in our band, Glorious Aboard, Josh and I play another Talking Head song called Life During Wartime that just has this relentless bass groove that doesn't stop even for a second. It just makes you want to move and dance right along with it. Um, I have a long way to go to catch up to Tina Weymouth, but she's absolutely a current influence in my own playing. I'm trying to emulate and learn from listening to a bunch of Talking Heads and Tom Tom Club, which is another one of her bands. Wow, wait, how many bands is she in? Uh, she's probably got four bands that she was in uh, hmm. that, that made it pretty big. I see. I feel kind of bad because I don't know that much about like female bass players. I do know that there was a female bass player in, um, what was it, Billy Corgan's band? What's that band? The Smashing band? Pumpkins? Yes, that one, yeah. right? And yeah. I'm pretty sure he tortured her in some way. Yeah, definitely. Okay, I can't remember what the full Yeah, he tortured was. everybody in yeah. that band. Though. I mean, he tortures all of us. Really? Yeah. yeah. That's that's true. That's a, <laughs> yeah. That's so, a fact. yeah. Uh, Susan brings suicidal tendencies which way to free? She says, Robert is the man, one of my all-time favorite bass jams. I don't know who Robert is, but um, (laughs) (laughs) when someone lets a bass player get to do whatever they want, this is kind of like what happens. It's super slappy bass. It's slap bass, I guess, is how you would call that, right? Yeah, I mean, bass can be slappy without being slap bass, but in this case, he he is doing some slap bass techniques. Yeah, and it's like grungy but then there's like this kind of smooth dichotomy with like the vocals and then you've got the hollering going on you know (laughs) just in unison just because and there's like just grunginess and freedom underneath that takes like center stage and the way to free is this bass jamming yeah, so when when Susan says Robert is the man, she's talking about the bass player, Robert Trujillo, <laughs> uh, who played bass in, in Suicidal Tendencies. You mean Robert Butler. It should be Robert <laughs> Butler, but R- Robert Trujillo. Uh, yeah, he, he's a really great funk. He was in a great funk metal band called Infectious Grooves. He was in Suicidal Tendencies. Funk metal? Yeah, funk metal. We're going to have to talk about this at some Have you point. ever seen the movie Encino Man? It's a Polly no. Shore movie. No. 
Uh, Infectious Grooves is in the prom <laughs> scene of that movie for any of the ear buddies that want to go back and watch Encino Man. So I can ha- find out what funk metal is? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So, yeah, he, he eventually joined Metallica in 2003 as well. So Robert Trujillo has been around. Uh, his bass playing and suicidal tendencies really raised the bar for punk and thrash and hardcore bands uh, because the style was very fast with tons of movement and flourish. He was incorporating a lot of that slap bass like a funk bass player. Mm-hmm. And his bass tone just had this snarl and punch that made the music sound really aggressive and powerful in a way that a lot of bands couldn't mimic. Um, there were some other folks dialing in that like mid-rangey, punchy bass tone around the same time, but combined with his style of playing, Robert Trio's one of a kind. He's great. I just, I just have to listen to more funk metal, man. Yeah, I mean, like, have you ever listened to? Uh, I don't know. A lot of Faith No More is kind of funk metal. Early, early Red Hot Chili Peppers. Some people okay. called funk metal. Okay. Well, I guess I can see somewhat how this bass. Yeah, early was... Primus might be considered mm-hmm. funk metal. Primus has is feelings. so awesome, uh, and I don't care what you say, and you're wrong. And I just, he I likes mean, weird tunings. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> What's that? Um, hey, look, it's like music theory. Uh, Mike Frizzell brings Lakeside's Fantastic Voyage. Come along and ride on Fantastic Voyage. I'm the captain of this vessel. definition of funk it has some in the beginnings like i love hoos and come on (laughs) and leans on that low end for the rhythm uh from a cursory look into trying to find out if this was for the movie because wouldn't that be cool i found out this this has been misattributed to the gap band so i've got to give a big old thank you to genius and Wikipedia, and there was a snarky commenter on YouTube. Who you got, don't say. <laughs> yeah, who got angry. It's like, uh, this is Lakeside. And also in the song, they're like, this is Lakeside. Yeah, they say something about Lakeside Groove. And so I went and looked up like what this was, which said it was the Gap Band. And then I went and listened to Lakeside. And I was like, these sound the same, but maybe my ear for music isn't that good. Right. And then I... I delved deeper, and I did research. Yeah, it is Lakeside. Although I can totally see, other than like if, if they missed where Lakeside says their name in the song, like yeah. it don't it totally does sound like a Gap Band song. But, but I mean, wait until you try to find the Gap the the Gap the Gap Band's uh, Fantastic Voyage on Genius, and you're like, how is this not on here? Right, exactly. Yeah, so. so that gets a little confusing. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I had to make sure we got some outrageous funk bass on the list too. Uh, and I try to get Mike on the show as often as I can to make sure he continues saying all those sweet things about me. <laughs> yep. uh, my first exposure to this song was from the rapper Coolio. He sampled it in the in the early 90s for a song called Fantastic Voyage. Uh-huh. Uh, and I eventually heard the original. And, of course, it's one of my favorite funk jams of all time. 
Uh, funk bass is always so much fun, and it actually helped bass playing evolve in some really cool ways. Uh, funk bassists often take cues, once again, from James Jamerson and the old Motown bands, but they take it all up a notch, kind of playing with lots of movement, putting rhythmic punches on odd beats, and the bass and the drums are both playing these complex, dynamic parts in perfect precision, and just like at unrelenting funk speed. And then, of course, the pioneers of funk bass, people like Larry Graham, Bootsy Collins. You mean Larry Butler and Bootsy Butler? And Bootsy Butler. Mm -hmm. They invented and uh, perfected the slap bass technique, which opened up tons of new possibilities in tone because of the way that bass strings sound when you thump and pop them. It also unlocked a lot of new possibilities rhythmically because the bass player can divide rhythms out between both hands and across the range of the instrument in a way that traditional bass playing could not accomplish before those folks kind of popular that technique so you can do a lot of really fast intricate uh, stuff that you normally might only be able to do on drums or something like that you know you can divide those rhythms between the hands is there a snare bass there's not snare bass but i I mean the the idea of playing slap bass is pretty much emulating the 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 kick and snare of a of a drum set but just in the bass you know There's Whenever so you're slapping, that's the the kick drum, and when you're popping, the that's popping the snare is drum. the snare. Okay, that makes sense. Yep. Okay, uh, JoJo rounds out the selections with Paul Simon's "You Can Call Me Al." says eight-year-old me thought bass was what you got to do after becoming a really good guitarist mostly because of this song everything is perfect ever with the song uh, there's like a pan flute or something going mm-hmm. on there's like weird noises going on there's hor- uh, horns there's saaxophones there's the bass line and also the song is just made to make everyone happy yeah and it's, it's one of the best it's got half of simon and garfunkel generally the uh, happier sounding of sure. them and I, it's so good and also uh chevy chase when he was a nice guy yeah back when he was an okay dude yeah uh yeah i'm a huge paul simon fan and this album which was called graceland i know is one of my absolute favorite albums of all time, and the bass playing on it is just insane. Uh, on Graceland, Paul Simon incorporated a lot of influence from African music, and so he utilized a lot of African musicians. Uh, most of the bass tracks were played by a guy named Bakithi Kumalo. Bakithi Butler. Bakithi Butler. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was a huge session bassist uh, in South Africa in the 70s and 80s, and on the Graceland album, uh, he played the fretless bass which for those who don't play instruments means it didn't have the little bars on the neck that make the different notes like most guitars and basses. Mm -hmm. Uh, It has like a smooth neck, more like an upright bass or a cello. And that gives all the bass tones a really round, earthy tone as opposed to a very pronounced metallic pluck to the notes. 
Uh, and it also allows the bass player to glide from note to note in a really smooth slide, almost like a trombone or a slide Ooh. guitar, uh, which Bukithi Kumalo Butler uh, used <laughs> used a lot on this album, especially in the instrumental breaks of this song. And, you know, I, I could talk for an hour about Paul Simon and this album in general, but uh, it's probably about time to wrap up. So. Probably. But I will say, did you know Jocko as a kid? He got a bass guitar, pulled all the frets out, and then, like, refinished it. Oh, really? So I that didn't he know could that. make it fretless. Yeah. So, sorry. I got time. I read one music biography. Yeah. It was the one. Um, yeah. But past that little fact that's all i got on facelines um yeah so slide into our dms if that's what you feel like doing um with the the ideas yeah just give us tons of ideas for shows we love hearing from the ear buddies and and getting new ideas for for themes yeah it's it's been great like we've had two listener submitted themes in the past two weeks yeah that's right it's awesome uh you can reach us on the twitter i'm at Pow, I gotcha. I'm at Madam Willate, and the show is at Andy Pod, the Facebook group. If you want to scroll through like the hundreds. Yeah, there's literally like a hundred and something submissions this mm-hmm. week. Uh, you can go to the Earbuds and Earworms podcast group, and the voicemail line is 731 400 BUDS or 731 400 2837. You can always email the show, endpod at gmail.com, and you can always find us online, endpod.com, part of the 10710 network. So Craig brought this, mm-hmm. and what song did you select of his? Yeah, so so Craig brought our theme this week, and although he submitted many great bass lines in the thread, I had to choose Rio by Duran Duran. Uh, I've long been obsessed with this song because of the drums and the vocal harmonies. Uh, but until Craig brought it up, I had actually never really paid attention to just how ridiculous the bass line is. And now that it's unlocked in my brain, I'll never unhear it. I guess I always just like assumed that because they were such a synth-heavy band that those bass lines were programmed. Uh, but it's actually their bass player, John Taylor, or John Butler, as we're going to okay, call him from go. now on. Yep. Uh, he just shreds start to finish in this one. And it keeps He keeps like a general motif throughout the song, but it just changes and evolves and shifts throughout the whole song and by the time the sax solo comes around toward the end there's just no reeling him back in it's just a flurry of bass notes hurricaning through the sonic field uh craig provided us with a beautiful remastered version with the bass super loud and proud so pay extra attention to the low-end madness in rio by duran duran
This is the same bass that Getty Lee uses. Do you listen to Muse at all? Red Hot Chili Peppers? Primus? 